Our scripture today comes from Matthew 18, verse 21 through 35. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this particular teaching of Jesus that is in front of us today. Lord, I pray that you would prepare each of us to receive what you are saying in love to obey what you are commanding. And we pray for your spirit to help us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys may be seated. It's great to be with you this morning. If you haven't done so already, I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 18, where Leanne was just reading for us. You know, one of the things we like to talk about and somewhat joke about when we go to hard passages is we wish there were footnotes, we wish there was a little more clarity, we wish it wasn't so difficult to understand. And then we come to one of these passages that's really easy to understand, and we're like, oh no, now I have no intellectual excuses to hide behind, none whatsoever. Here's what Jesus is saying this morning. Forgiveness is central to the faith, and because forgiveness is central to the faith, it is God's purpose and God's will that forgiveness be abundant within the Christian community. So forgiveness is central to Christian faith, because forgiveness is central, it's the purpose and plan of God that forgiveness be abundant within the Christian community. Um, In my experience, we love to talk about God forgiving us, and we're loath to talk about God calling us to forgive others. Jesus does both here in this passage, but more than doing both, he ties them together in a way 
that's intended to be compelling and convincing to us. So let's look at the passage together. Our sermon is entitled Forgiveness. Very creative, right? That's what the passage is about. So it happens when I have to turn in a sermon title 10 days in advance. Forgiveness. I probably wouldn't have done much better if I could have turned it in this morning. So if you're taking notes, our first point is forgiven greatly. So in this story, Peter asked Jesus a question, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. And Jesus said to him, I don't say to you seven times, but 77 times, or some of your English texts may say 70 times, seven times. We're going to come back to that in a minute because Peter asked a very tangible, practical question. How many times should I forgive someone? But Jesus starts by telling a parable. And the parable doesn't begin with how many times we should forgive someone, but it begins with how much we've been forgiven. And so this whole conversation begins not with how often we should grant forgiveness, but it begins with how much God has granted toward us in forgiving our sin. And so in the parable, verses 23 through 27 tell a story of a servant who is in massive debt to his king, to his master, and the servant is forgiven much. The servant is forgiven much. Now, Lest you misread this parable, let me just jump to the conclusion. We are all the servant. We're all the servant. We are not the master here. We are the servant. And now let's notice what gets laid out for us. A king wished to settle accounts with all of his servants. And he began to... When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Okay, so we have a servant who owes a king. Now, this is how most of us modern American read that. 10,000 talents, I have no idea what that means. I'm just going to keep going, right? So let's slow down for a second. A talent equaled 6,000 days wages. A talent equaled 23 years of income. 10,000 of them would equal 230,000 years of income. Are we feeling the enormity of it? And that's actually not enough because what Jesus was doing, math nerds, I'm here for you, is he was actually finding a creative way to say infinity times infinity. And if you're a math nerd, infinity times infinity is? Thank you. Thank you. Redeemer's picking up in the summer these Ivy Leaguers, and so I can ask more hard math questions. Um, But I think they all come to the 1030 service. So 9 o'clock, proud of you. And here's why, because in the currency of Jesus's day, the talent was the largest piece of currency. And in Greek, 
of the day, the highest number you could say without introducing a mathematical formula was 10,000, okay? Biggest denomination, biggest number multiplied by each other. What Jesus is conveying is this service, this servant owed an inordinate debt to this master. It could not be fully calculated, and it most certainly could never be paid in a lifetime. Verse 25, since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that they had, and payment to be made. Verse 26, so the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you Everything. So notice what the servant's saying. He's saying, let me spend my life paying off my debt. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. So what we've learned so far in this story is the servant was fully forgiven by the master. The master chose to release any hold that he had on the servant because of this debt. He fully erased the debt. He released any expectation of payment He released any pending punishment. He removed the debt. Now, I am using the words of the parable to belabor a vitally important point. This servant is walking in infinite grace before this master. Does that seem to be a fair takeaway here? He's walking in infinite mercy before this master. He's walking in infinite joy, one would think, before this master. The servant owed everything and more to the master, and the master released him. The master forgave the debt. So I think it would be fair for us to say this servant has been greatly forgiven. Seem fair? By definition, using this parable as an influence, forgiveness is releasing the right to hold an offense against the party who has committed the offense. Forgiveness is releasing any expectation that a debt will be paid because of the offense. Forgiveness is a gift and it is an act of grace. What is being conveyed here is the king has chosen an immense act of grace toward 
the servant. So I guess we could just stop there and go, man, that's a great story. I'm happy for the servant. But I don't think the passage allows us to do that because what's being portrayed here with king and servant is, is something that's being conveyed about God and his people. What's being conveyed here, as I said a minute ago, is we are all the servant. And what the gospel is, is God giving to us through his mercy and because of Jesus an immense act of forgiveness that we could never earn. God is giving to those who call upon the name of Christ, who plead for mercy in the name of Christ, an act of forgiveness that could never be earned upon our own. Forgiveness from God, forgiveness toward sinners is the work of Christ, and it is the gospel. I could pick hundreds of passages to convey this point to us, but I'm going to use 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If anyone in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning of verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. Hear this, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake... He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What Paul is writing there is at the center of the work of Christ is a work of of bringing incalculable forgiveness of sin to those who are covered in the blood of Christ. Christianity is about a people greatly forgiven by a God who forgives greatly. This is at the center of our faith. So I said at the beginning, we are all the servant. There's two two iterations of the servant in this text. There's the one desperately trying to pay back his debt, and there's the one falling on his face crying out for mercy. What the scripture would lay out is we're all one iteration of that servant or the other. The one desperately trying to pay back his debt or the one falling down and just saying, have mercy on me. The path of Jesus, the path of the gospel is the, oh Lord, have mercy on me iteration of the servant. So if you're here today and you are a Christ follower, meaning you've confessed your sinfulness before God, you've cried out to Christ for mercy, and you know that you belong to the kingdom and the family of God because of God's immense act of forgiveness, then I give to you this. Your 
forgiven weight before God is infinity times infinity, and the Lord has chosen forgiveness toward you. Let that shape how you worship and respond and relate to him. If you're here today exploring the faith, if you're here today trying to figure out what it actually means to be a Christian, if you're here today because you grew up in the church and you think coming to church on Sunday and being nice at community, at youth group tonight is somehow going to right all the wrongs and make God love you more, it'll never work because the weight of your debt is infinity times infinity, but Christ lived, Christ died, Christ rose again to take away that debt and offer you absolute forgiveness. So I would plead with you, come to Jesus today. Come to Jesus today. Now, if I prayed a prayer and offered an altar call and we sang 27 verses of Just As I Am right now, you guys would be like, dude, that was good. I mean, everybody loves revival when you already know the Lord. Like, there's really not much for you to do, but pray that your friend will walk down the aisle. But Jesus doesn't leave it there. Jesus doesn't leave it there because what he says is, hey, you who've been forgiven much, I expect you to abound in forgiveness toward others. And that's where this sermon goes from joyful to hard really fast second point learning forgiveness learning forgiveness what Jesus ultimately says here before we look at it is this the forgiveness that flows from God to us is intended to flow from us to others the community of the people who have received, received, almost said receiving, it's not a word. The community of people who have received much forgiveness are to be a people abounding in interpersonal forgiveness. A community abounding in interpersonal forgiveness. Now, okay, well, where do you get that, Pastor? Well, remember, what question was Jesus answering with the story? He was answering the question, how many times should I forgive my brother? And rather than giving a number, Jesus gives another one of those really large, unattainable realities. Because he says, Peter says, how many times should I forgive my brother when he sins against me? How about seven? Well, Peter's not being abstract. Most rabbis taught that you only had to forgive someone three times, and then the fourth time you could put it to them. All right, just put that in the context of your home, friends. Don't think about your loved ones. Think about you, how short your life would have been. I wouldn't be here today. I would have never made it to that point in my life where I met Christ. It would have been a bad, bad story. So Peter, he doesn't want to be too extravagant, but he's like, how about seven? That feels like a good number. How about seven? And some of our English versions, Jesus says, I don't say to you seven, but some English versions say 77. Others say seven times 70. 
So whether Jesus is talking about 77 or 490, the point's the same. You're over here squabbling about threes and fours, and I'm telling you there's no end to it. Keep forgiving. Keep going. Keep going. Now let's get back to our our parable. So the servant was forgiven much. What a great day for him. He gets to go home and say, honey, guess what? Our debt's been forgiven. Children, guess what? You're not going to be sold into slavery. This is a day for worship and joy and praise and happiness. But what does he do? He goes and beats someone who owes him money. Verse 26, so the, I'm sorry, verse 28. When the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred days wages, three months, he seized him and began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. Doesn't seem consistent, does it? So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him. Have patience with me and I will pay you. Notice the same thing he pled to his master. But the servant refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. So this servant who had received great, immense, infinite grace responded by going to someone who owed him a minuscule amount, relatively speaking, and tried to choke him out and put him in prison. That doesn't seem like a consistent response to what's played out in this story. Can we at least go there? So the other servants went and reported this to the master who had forgiven much. And the master summoned him and said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on So now, if you're one to write in your Bible, that's your verse. That's the one to underline, to highlight. If you're going to highlight, don't leave it in your car because those evaporate. But that's the one to mark. I forgave you all that debt. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? So you take the 70 times 7 And you take the implication of Jesus' words here from the master. And what Jesus is saying is those who received great forgiveness are to be great forgivers. The, The community is to be shaped by great forgiveness. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So it's as if the master says, okay, you want to play, pay it off yourself, then we'll play, pay it off ourselves. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So this reads as a command, I believe. It reads as a calling. It, It reads to say that the people of God who have received abundant forgiveness are to be those who yield abundant forgiveness to one another. And friends, 
as long as we live in a fallen world, which we do, and as long as sinful people have to relate to one another, which is every relationship, and as long as organizations and governments are corrupted, which they are, then there will be plenty of offense to be wrestled with and plenty of opportunity to yield forgiveness. So the calling for us is this, to learn the art of forgiveness, to learn the art of forgiveness. So for the last couple of minutes, I just want to give you some practical, tangible ways to learn the art of forgiveness. Number one, it would be much easier if forgiveness happened in an accounting ledger rather than in the human heart, right? This one is debt forgiven, wiped away. But what's being conveyed about the accounting ledger here is that the master's no longer holding the debt against the servant. So when it comes to an interpersonal sin, when it comes to relational sin, when it comes to reconciling after a fight, when it comes to hardship in our lives, forgiveness is choosing to let go of all grounds for punishment. It's choosing to release them as if you never possessed them. So forgiveness doesn't have to be warm, fuzzy feelings. Forgiveness doesn't have to be acting like it never happened or pretending that it never happened. That's called sweeping under the rug. But forgiveness is, I'm letting go of the right to hold this act against you, even though justice would say, I have a right to hold it against you. So forgiveness is letting go of the right to punish, letting go of the right to bring guilt and shame and fear upon someone because of the tension between you. Forgiveness is not keeping a record of wrongs. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, love it does not keep record of wrongs. Forgiveness is choosing to let go of it. So get this, get this. If I come to you and say, hey, will you forgive me? And you say, yes, Jamie, I forgive you. By the way, I encourage you to use the word forgiveness and not just vague, glib words like I'm sorry. But if you look at me and say, yes, Jamie, I forgive you, that is a profound act of mercy toward me that changes me. But you're also covenanting to say, I'm not going to bring this up tomorrow or the next day or the next day because I've forgiven you. And I would just say, if you can't forgive right now, maybe ask for an hour. Go shut your door. Get out Matthew 18. Pray and come back and re-enter the conversation. Forgiveness is emotionally and relationally and physically letting go of the right to hold this matter against some. And I believe that often we want to say, yeah, 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 yeah. 
Forgiveness means I'm going to let it go till the next time I want to bring it up. Or I'm going to let it go till the next time I'm upset at you. That's not forgiveness. That's expedience. Second, we can choose to forgive people for things that they never ask us to forgive them for. We can choose to forgive people for things that they never ask us to forgive them for. Now, obviously, Jesus here is talking about something transactional. Hey, sir, please forgive me. Yes, I forgive you. So if there's a big brouhaha in the parking lot out here between the 9 o'clock service people and the 1030 service people, we're going to come in and we're going to talk about it and we're going to ask for forgiveness, okay? But often, I think some, by the way, I'm very much pro-counseling, but some of us who are overly counseled or overly reformed, I'm pro that too, but we think that we can only forgive people if they say this sentence, I repent of X, would you forgive me? By the way, if you've transgressed against someone, that's a great way to seek reconciliation. But I'm here to tell you, you can forgive someone without those magic words. You can just say, I'm going to let go of that. I'm going to let go of that. I mean, look, just think about life with your kids or life with a spouse or life with your employees. Like, does every minor offense have to have such a confrontation that it has to end in, I repent for X, would you forgive me? Like, what if I was just a little terse with you this morning because I was busy and distracted and I didn't mean it, and you're driving home from church today and you go, you know what? I'm just going to forgive Jamie for that. I'm just going to let go of, of any reason to hold that against him. That's forgiveness, and I think that's biblical too. Everybody tracking with me here? Third. Forgiveness is hard. True forgiveness is hard. Be honest about it. Be honest about it. Be honest with the Lord about it. Go to the Lord about it. Ask the Lord who has forgiven you much to work in your heart to bring a real, tangible forgiveness to bear. Fourth, be honest with the Lord and find somebody safe to be honest with as well. Um, learning to forgive is hard. Fifth, the Lord offers some warnings about failing to forgive, and that should be the punch of the passage. I didn't play with you dotting I's and crossing T's and acting like you have to earn my favor. Don't play that way with others. But fifth, the bitterness and the anger and the manipulation of harboring and holding things against others will destroy us as So anytime the scripture gives a command, it's both what God wants and what's best for his people at the same time. 
Jesus is painting a picture here in this story of those who have been forgiven much are to be abundant in forgiveness toward others. My son sent me a meme this week that said, when the preacher says, and one last thing, that means he's 30% done. (laughs) And one last thing. Um, We have to put this passage up against last week's passage. If you weren't here, last week's passage was was Jesus teaching that the church can't overlook sin among the people. But the purpose of a confrontation is not vengeance. It's forgiveness. Even when people have done horrible things, forgiveness is available in Christ. Forgiveness is available in Christ. So what if Redeemer Church, I'm not even worried about in this moment all the other churches in the world, what if Redeemer Church was a people known for celebrating and abounding in mercy and forgiveness toward one another because we celebrate and abound in the mercy that God has extended to us in Christ Jesus. That's the vision. That vision excites me and it warms my heart. And I'm just wondering if we can labor in this together. So our Father and our God, we pray now that you would take these words of truth which you have spoken In your word, and as much as what I've said this morning is faithful to you and good and right, would you cause us to believe it and receive it and be changed by it? Lord, I only know the tip of the iceberg of the work that you need to do in your people today. I'm praying that you would do it now. And I'm praying that you would make this congregation a safe place for those who are hurting and struggling and looking to be right with you and right with one another. Help us, O God, we pray in Jesus' name.